Alright, welcome back. I know it's been a little bit of a time, to be specific, a little over a year and some change. That said, we're going to get into a couple of house cleaning issues before I jump into any explanations or anything like that. Uh, First things first. In the show notes, there's going to be a few links, some talking specifically about some of the data points that I'm going to hit on today, some just some holiday resource links, and then some will be the people who I want to shout out at this time, which is going to be Lex Diaz Art on Instagram. As usual, I want to shout out my friends and the biggest supporters of this channel, they always try and convince me to keep going even though it's been like i said a year and some change i also want to shout out trenton whaley who produced this glorious beat that you're listening to right now and you can find him on instagram by the name of whaley underscore photo g uh like i said it's going to be in the show notes However, just in case, it is Whaley, W-H-A-L-E-Y, underscore P-H-O-T-O-G, and Lex Diaz Art, L-E-X-D-I-A-Z-A-R-T. So you guys can check them out, but we're going to go ahead and jump into it and start this thing off. Unfortunately, atrocities that have continuously been happening in the country, paired with a much more personal mental health journey, I was unable to continue creating the content that I had set out to. All of those things mixed together basically led to a mixture of writer's block and some other things. When I was unable to, when I was able to write, Uh, a level of personal self-criticism that those of you who know me know is nothing short of toxic self-analysis that doesn't really allow me to let work that would be otherwise considered perfectly acceptable live. Uh, So, unfortunately, that took hold for a little while there. And after months and now, a little over a year away, I felt now more than ever I need to come back and say something on here and touch on some things that have been happening that perfectly lead into the topics that I had promised last time and allow for further expansion on different topics in the future uh, from feedback through you all. So this is going to be a bit of a multi-topic episode. I will be addressing mental health, work, and Roe v. Wade. 
I could not possibly cover all the nuance of these topics in one episode. So I will revisit them later. But I know a lot of people who are going to be listening to this are thinking, didn't he say that he was going to talk about military and it was going to be a two-parter? I did. I didn't forget. That's still in the works as we speak. Uh, Takes a much more delicate hand to speak on my personal experiences without violating or speaking for anyone else's. I also do not intend to entirely defame the military as an organization. And while I won't elaborate on that now, I will when we get there. That said, as is par for my course, I digress. So let's get back to the topics at hand. So we're going to open up this whole thing with the smallest of the fish I want to fry here today and speak on something I've been going to great lengths to force myself to practice. Note that I said force myself here as my brain tends to lean towards apathy against things that I don't think are going to show instant results for the fixing of my current mood or mental state. That said, when you use reframing properly, it is one of the single greatest tools our brain can utilize. Now that we've established my personal feelings about it, what is reframing? The APA Dictionary of Psychology defines reframing as a process of reconceptualizing a problem by seeing it from a different perspective. Altering the conceptual or emotional context of a problem often serves to alter perceptions of the problem's difficulty and to open up possibilities for solving it. Now, reading that can be good, you know, bit much. So what that breaks down to is taking something, anything in fact, that may be difficult for you to process and looking at it from more than the first angles that you perceive it. I like to call it the silver lining option, as you do not just look at the negatives. Um, An example that I would like to use was, in my personal life, not so recently, was in the discovering I more than likely was going to be pulled out of the running for a promotion that I later did get pulled out of the running for. In my department, it is all but necessary to be on any shift. But late night or overnight to get larger promotions. My personal feelings about that are largely negative, as that is the shift I work. And I feel that we do a lot of great work on that shift, and it's a necessary shift. I also feel that I was ready. Even back then, I believed that I was ready to take that next step. And to get that promotion. Those feelings in the grand scheme of thing, things are still going to be there. And are entirely valid. But the truth of the matter is that with reframing, I can see a side of this that makes me more hopeful for the overall outcome. If I'm not in the running for this promotion, as of right now, due to my shift, I can look for other ways to display my impact to the department. And ultimately the company. This could 
and did lead to other opportunities I may not have been previously open to apply for or even consider. Now, for those who do not think that they can reframe without absolutes, there is another way to look at this. You are out of the running for a promotion that, by all measures, you were sure you would thrive in, right? So that gives you the opportunity to evaluate your department and your company. We're nearly almost two years at this point into what was being called the Great Resignation. Evaluate where you work. Evaluate your worth as an employee. And if what you need out of your employer is not lining up with what you're receiving, despite your skill level or level of the responsibilities you take on, leave. A lot of companies do not want to hear that. Heck, even the older generations don't want to hear that. They take it as some sort of sign that we don't want to work. The truth is, there are more tools than we previously believed to assess your employability and your worth as an employee. If you sat down tomorrow and assessed that the amount of money you made or saved your organization through your work was astronomically high or astronomically low, what would you do? If you really sat down and assessed that number, how high would it that would that number be? How high would that number need to be to convince you that you are underpaid and or even overworked? According to smartasset.com, the average 20 to 24-year-old nets just under $35,000 a year. The average 25 to 34-year-old nets just under $50,000 a year. And 35 to 44 makes just under $60,000 a year. So with that data, if you found out tomorrow you make the company that you're working for $250,000 a year, would you ask for a raise at the threat of leaving? What if it were 500000 A million? $10 million? Where do you draw the line before you realize that your pay and your value are exponentially separate? And you do, in fact, deserve more. That's not for me to decide, but that is something to consider. This ties back into the mental health component, and the last topic of this podcast as well, a lot of people struggling with asking for that raise or even being firm with their employers sometimes, opting to not discuss it, it's hurting them. What's worse is that large amounts of the population feel that there is no negotiating wage in the job, especially in the job offer stage of an interview. Now to speak on this, I have to get div yeah. <laughs> I have to give a disclaimer. I am speaking from a place of privilege. While I consider myself a great negotiator, it's because I'm able to throw away how I believe a potential employer would feel about me for asking for more money. If I don't feel heard or even lightly met, 
I declined the job. Which, thanks to some data from Harvard, aligns with what I'm going to say next. This is characteristically done by men in the workplace. So the privilege that I'm speaking of is from that of a man in the workforce. A lot of have a lot of people have issues admitting that they have privilege in any way, but I think that's a dangerous ideal to believe in. I'm a black man in America, a veteran. I'm heterosexual, but I also have mental health issues. I'm privileged to be a man. And I'm privileged to be heterosexual as there are no laws as of yet that impact solely me short of the draft, which I'm slowly creeping away from being eligible for anyways. So as a vet and a black man and a man with mental health issues, I have laws and a lack of societal concern for my status against me in some way, shape or form in some facet of my life. That's not to say that, you know, just because I'm privileged in some ways that I'm, you know, worse off in my life or better off by a significant margin than someone else. It just means I have the privilege of the things that impact people who don't have that same level of privilege. not affecting me. So, as a result, women in the workplace are facing an issue of being offered lower amounts of prospective pay for jobs because it's known that more often than not, they will not be negotiating. Using this perception against them is the biggest tool that you can have in this modern market, ladies. In your next job interview, Step firmly out of your comfort zone and ask for the wage within the real range for the job, obviously, that you deserve. If the range is 60 to 80K and they offer you $55,000, speak to your skills and relevant experience while explaining why you deserve 70000 Obviously, I'm just throwing random numbers out there. I don't know if you're actually, whoever's listening to this, going to be worth 70000 So, take that with a grain of salt. But the mental health portion of this is the disproportionate stress that can create an environment that is difficult to work in. Also, I just want to say this. And this is regardless of gender or anything like that. Unless... You sign a non-disclosure agreement. Discuss your wages with your co-workers. They can't stop you. It helps to potentially negotiate your next raise. A lot of people are afraid of that because they think that in some way it's going to hurt them. Well, if you find out that Tom, Becky, Gemma, Raekwon, or whoever is making $3 an hour more than you, Congratulations. Now you can assess yourself against the quality of work that they have. And when that raise time comes up, if you know and have tangible evidence that you are a more valuable employee, you can ask for a higher raise. 
than what they are offering you. If you know that that's not necessarily the case, then you know, hey, I probably need to step my game up. So that was a lot to say. But the next topic is bigger than that by a large margin. Roe v. Wade. Now, I am once again speaking from a place of privilege as a man. But a place of experience as a black man and a veteran. Bodily autonomy is one of the single most important things we can have. If the government can take that away at will, we have nothing. Regardless as if you personally believe abortion is good, bad, or necessary, we have to look at what banning it actually does. Historically, Americans are the most hard-headed people on the planet let's call a spade a spade we live here we enjoy certain privileges and we don't like those privileges being taken away the best example of that we banned alcohol and drank more than ever before we banned drugs and increased the rate of drug crimes and drug use is it not the hubris of america that we believe we can entirely ban anything. What will actually happen? Is the banning of travel to states where it is legal or, you know, limiting of personal movement rights, which then leads to an increase in unsafe abortions or an increase in abortions in states, countries where it's legal? Not out of spite, but out of desperation from those who need it. Now, here are the facts of the situation. Majority of Americans haven't really considered these things. Less than 1% of the population are licensed doctors. And around 62% of the population, including women with fertility issues, cannot carry a child to term. That said, that means 38% of the population would be affected by the repeal of Roe v. Wade as it happened. An effective minority having their bodily autonomy and medical privacy invaded by the government and random everyday, everyday citizens. As a veteran, we had no autonomy of our bodies when I was enlisted. You are, in fact, government property. Anyone who served during COVID can speak to that. But I'll get back to that in a second. So, prior to the tattoo ruling back in 2016 by the Chief of Naval Operations... I could potentially be punished and kicked out of the Navy for getting a tattoo without permission. And I could be kicked out for getting something like a neck tattoo. Now, a lot of you are going to be hearing that and saying, 
why would you want to get a neck tattoo? You'll never get a job again. You're absolutely correct. However, regardless of that fact, is it not still my body? Is it not still legally my consent that they need to tattoo my neck? But I digress again. So during COVID, my peers were told they had a choice for close to six months. That was then walked back. And everyone who was serving was coerced into getting the vaccine. In boot camp, our ability to say no to a vaccine when I was serving was determined solely by if you were allergic or not. But now... They're going in a very interesting path. They're starting to walk it back again, saying that the vaccine's not mandatory because of enlistment numbers. In the military, we have curfews. We're told where we can and cannot go when we're in other countries. All of these things are examples of forms of limitation of bodily autonomy and personal movement and freedom of movement as a black person bodily autonomy discussions go back to the era of eugenics look at tuskegee look at the violation of the bodily rights during the jim crow era and even today i could speak on those issues for hours but this is not the podcast episode for that at least not yet Whether you believe that a pregnant woman is two bodies or not is irrelevant. As the government and all other corporations do not, I repeat, do not believe that a pregnant woman is two separate beings or entities or bodies. You can ensure an unborn child. You cannot create a social security card for it, meaning no bank account. You cannot do so many more things because the government itself does not consider it a life all the way up to birth. Yet they do believe in allowing the abortion of the unborn child or fetus. They don't believe it in it unilaterally making it legal and regulating it responsibly. I have thousands of theories of why, but this is not just an attack on abortion. It's an attack on reproductive rights, bodily autonomy, and the big picture, the country as a whole. Because, simply put, show me a politician, a congressman who vehemently does not believe in abortion in the legal sense, chances are I can show you a politician who's either had an abortion or, and this one is 
once again, just a theory here, has a child or a spouse who's had an abortion and they knew about it and they had no issues with it when it was happening. But like I said, this is an attack not just on abortion by the different political pundits that be. It's an attack on reproductive rights, bodily autonomy, and the country as a whole. To paraphrase Martin Luther King, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere.